0: Welcome to the Face Place podcast. My name is Mel. I'm an oral health therapist and orofacial myofunctional therapist at my practice, The Face Place. Each week, I'll be interviewing a different professional to learn all about their area of expertise and how it relates to oral and facial function, dental health, and the whole body. Let's get to our guest. Louisa Backus is a speech pathologist trained in orofacial myology and lactation. After over 20 years working as a speech pathologist, Louisa has developed an interest in the holistic treatment of paediatric feeding and speech difficulty in a manner that incorporates normalising oral dysfunction and breathing, which can begin from birth. Louisa now presents as part of the Australian Orofacial Myology Collaboration, running a 28-hour foundation course in orofacial myology in Australia and internationally. Louisa is based in Emerald in Queensland at her practice Louisa Backus Speech Pathology. Hi, Louisa. Thanks so much for joining me today to talk about speech and oral function. No worries. Good to meet you, Mel. I would love to start off by talking about what kind of speech pathologist you are, Louisa, because that doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. What kind of work do you do in the speech pathology industry?
1: Yeah. So basically, I work mainly in restoring oral function. I've been working as a speech pathologist for many years, and in a rural setting, have been a generalist definitely my whole career. But since training in orofacial myology, I've just been able to specialise a little bit and I work across the lifespan. So I work with babies that have feeding difficulties and work with paediatric clients with speech and feeding issues related to poor oral function. And I also work with adults. So working with those with orofacial myology disorders and yeah. As you mentioned, I've been lucky enough to start a speaking role and working with some colleagues of mine, Nata macky and Chelsea McMillan, and we present as part of the Australian Orofacial Myology Collaboration. So I get to travel and talk about Orofacial Myology all day, which I love doing. So it's been really good. <laughs> so working with the
0: oral function and the, the Orofacial Myology part of things, is that as something that's comprehensively taught as part of a standard speech pathology degree
1: no unfortunately it's not and and hopefully this is something that's going to change in the future I certainly believe that oral function is the foundation for correcting speech and feeding issues so yeah it definitely needs to be included in the course in my opinion
0: So then if it wasn't part of your foundation training, what prompted you to to have an interest in orofacial myology and and end up down that path?
1: Yep. So I guess I've been doing speech pathology for a number of years, and I've actually been doing this sort of work for a number of years. And I had an orthodontist that had been sending me some tongue thrust swallow referrals. So I started to become really interested in oral function, but I have to say that My success in treating these sorts of clients was really limited and it was not until I did my myology training that I started to get some really exciting results for my clients in terms of progress in this area. And definitely my own kids has been something that's been driving me the whole time. My kids have had poor oral function. They've all had tongue ties, malocclusions, and I think that's definitely the tipping point for me. In me wanting to gain a better understanding about their malocclusion so that I could support their facial growth and as they're undergoing their ortho- orthodontic treatment. But I just wish, like lots of mums that I see, that I had this knowledge sooner, then it could have saved me a fair bit of heartache um, when I was breastfeeding my kids. And I think that another thing is that I guess I was just getting a little bit jaded with speech pathology in terms of. I really love working on speech and in particular, I really love working with the more severe speech sound disorders, but I was beginning to sort of find that this was quite frustrating and tedious and I could see that I guess some kids really struggled. So it's been so exciting to just find another thing to add to my toolkit that can accelerate the progress of my client, particularly those with the severe speech sound disorders. Yeah, it often
0: provides that this approach or orophageal myology theory often provides an answer where you didn't have one before, doesn't exactly. it? An avenue to It's explore. so exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: definitely. I have a similar definitely. kind of feeling about the dental industry, shorter yeah. career path before I was thinking it, but that frustration with we're kind of jumping in downstream with malocclusions and we're doing orthodontic work, but we're not upstream going, why did it happen in the first place? Could we have prevented exactly. it?
1: That's exactly right. And I I guess that's how I I feel with speech. And I feel like we're we're treating the issue after it's happened when we could be looking at a lower level and treating the cause of the issue. Totally. Mm -hmm. So then where does the orofacial
0: myofunctional therapy sort of come into speech pathology? Like what role does it play? Because a lot of things probably do look a little bit similar to what You'd be traditionally doing anyway, I assume.
1: Yeah, I guess my practice looks very different to how it did before I did my oral myology training. At the moment, I'm I use OM techniques every day with my clients, and I think that my training has given me a much better understanding of malocclusions and their impact on speech and feeding. And that's just I just wasn't thinking in that way before I trained in a myology, so. If we can normalise oral function first in our treatment, we can create really amazing outcomes in terms of improving oral awareness. That is something that we absolutely need as speech pathologists. We need to establish that good oral rest posture. And if we do that, we're giving our kids all this information about their palate, which they really need for good articulation. And we know that good oral function of the lips and the tongue and the jaw is really vital for speech And also for feeding success. And I think definitely a big learning point for me has been about the jaw. And as speech pathologists, we're really not taught about how important that jaw is for speech and feeding. So we need to stabilise the jaw in order to achieve that dissociative movement of the tongue. So what that means is that we need the tongue and the jaw moving independently of one another. And it's absolutely vital to achieve that talking and for feeding and eating. So, I mean, there's lots of reasons why a jaw might be unstable. It might be that there's mouth breathing, there's malocclusions, there's difficulties with chewing. It might be because of a, a very poor diet. And the jaw, I feel, plays a big part in intelligibility. If I think about these kids and as speech pathologists, we all have them on our caseload. They're quite clear when talking at that single word level. But then when we go to the connected speech level or, or listening to them in conversation, they can become really slushy or mumbly. And often, if we work on that jaw and remediate the jaw, we can get a really quick improvement in speech intelligibility that carries across into connected speech. And the other thing that I guess, with the jaw we need to think about is that jaw grading. So we need to be able to achieve graded movements of the jaw in speech, and in particular when we're working with vowel sounds. And jaw grading is also really important for eating, as we have to grade our movements to bite and chew our food.
0: Would you mind explaining what jaw grading means just a little bit more? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what jaw grading means is As speech pathologists, so if we have a vowel, for example, we need to have different jaw heights to achieve vowels. So So opening
0: and closing further or smaller. Yeah,
1: that's right. So if we look at, listen to the vowel, like we have quite a high jaw height, but if we're producing a vowel like or, we have a really low jaw height. So jaw grading is referring to that difference in jaw height that we have to be able to achieve. We need that jaw stability to be able to do it.
0: Okay. Yeah, so if someone has limited strength or muscle tone or something like that, then they can't operate their jaw to those different levels to produce those sounds. Yeah, that's that. right.
1: They don't have the stability yep. to be able to make the change to achieve that. That's right. Yeah, cool.
0: Kind of already probably answered this question a little bit, but do you find that there are common oral function problems then aren't really covered by a traditional speech therapy approach? Like if you don't have this OM training that they're contributing to what's going on without you really knowing how or how to get around them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I feel that orofacial analogy is an approach that it allows you to look and see directly the area of need. So you can really carefully pinpoint the area of dysfunction, whether it be the lip, the tongue, the jaw, and provide that really targeted intervention for speech and feeding. And we know that addressing oral rest is huge. As an OM therapist, we know that it's a common problem with kids and with babies and with adults with oral function issues. And I guess as a therapist, a speech pathologist, before I did OM, I could see that a child was not doing well in terms of their articulation. So say, for example, they might have had poor tongue tip placement for articulation. But Um, I didn't have articulation.
0: um, Is that speech sound like clarity? Yeah, producing that
1: speech sound. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't have any idea how to work on that, other than just working at the sound level. But when we work and treat the oral dysfunction, we can achieve that good oral rest. We can improve the jaw stability, meaning that you can achieve your outcomes that you're needing to achieve a lot more quickly. And it also means that as a spin off, you're going to be achieving a better outcome for the child. So you're going to have a child that's sleeping better, that's chewing better, that they're more rested, and then they're in a better position to achieve that jaw growth and occlusion as they're growing. So I guess more traditional speech approaches often look at patterns of sound errors. Okay. And we often look at treating that phonological system. But I think if we look at the speech pattern, it may have developed as a result of a compensation, okay? So when we treat the oral function and remove the compensatory pattern, we can achieve a much better outcome for the child. And we do know that if we leave these compensations, they can cause some real issues if they're not addressed. So compensatory movements and muscle movements can lead to malocclusions, they can lead to that mouth breathing, they could lead to issues with facial growth, issues with posture, and later in life, down the track, pain patterns can emerge as a result of years of compensatory muscle movements. So it's really important that we're not taking that near enough is good enough approach and that we're addressing that compensation directly. I think that also the thing that's been really helpful for me in training in OM is learning to identify and eliminate those sucking habits. So finger sucking, thumb sucking, dummies sucking. So that's been incredibly helpful for my clients in trying to fix a speech sound difficulty or a feeding difficulty when that sucking habit's in place can be really difficult. But I must say, it's it's really exciting. There is a new wave of speech pathologists and they're really starting to consider about Breeding oral function, they're getting trained in orofacial biology, and I just love being a part of that journey for them because we're beginning to see speech pathologists that are airway focused, and they're thinking about that big picture in terms of oral function and what that means for speech and feeding.
0: Yeah, I was only—I was talking to some colleagues on the weekend, and I sort of only pretty much just said like what you've just said there. I've never known a practitioner to undergo this training in OM and not sort of expand how they see their work, no yeah. matter where, whether it is speech or dental or they're some other type of allied health professional, to not just yeah. kind of switch on some lights and yeah. look at their patients very differently.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. So no. it's pretty exciting.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't get a choice. You don't get to, no. don't get to look away. That's
1: right. <laughs> so we're going to delve
0: a little bit into tongue ties. <laughs> yes. The first and the base question is, can a tongue tie affect speech and eating?
1: Absolutely, so if you think about talking, we need a tongue that can elevate. So for example, it needs to touch the palate for sounds like T, D, M, L. If we think about other sounds at the back of the mouth, we need to have a tongue that can retract and elevate at the back. So it sounds like K and G and R. And if we think about lip ties, because they're often there as well, if there is a tongue restriction, we need good lip movement to achieve lip rounding for sounds like shh and chh. And we also need to be able to contact our lips together to create sounds like p and b. And m-. So, if there is a restriction there, then yeah, it definitely can have an impact on speech. And, like I talked about before, the associated impact on the jaw can have impacts on speech production at that connected speech level. So if we think about eating, a tongue-tie can definitely make it hard, as we know, to create a mature swallow. So achieving that tongue-to-alveolar ridge contact, it can make it really hard to control the food bolus at the back of the mouth if there's a posterior restriction there. And we also need that lateral movement of the tongue to control food and to chew correctly. So if we've got that poor tongue mobility, a tongue type, yep, it can definitely cause eating issues. And you can imagine that a lot of the kids that we see for feeding therapy or for picky eating, they can have issues around gagging and choking and, and have difficulty moving food around their mouth. And, and, yeah, that might be a result of a tongue restriction.
0: Yeah. What does a, a mature swallow look like? Like, Or how do we describe so that sw- sequence?
1: Yeah, I guess what we're talking about is we're, The tongue is elevating to the alveolar ridge and we're achieving a swallow without compensation. So there's no compensation of the lips. The lips aren't bracing to help the tongue to function and the jaw should be still, okay? We shouldn't see that that backwards movement of the jaw. So the opposite then to a mature swallow function is a tongue thrust swallow pattern. And it might be that the tongue, as you know, Mel is coming forward hitting the teeth or coming forward in front of the teeth, we see extraneous muscle involvement. It might be that some of the bigger muscles come into play. We can see things like head ducking and that sort of thing as those bigger muscles start to join in to help out that tongue that may not be functioning appropriately.
0: Yeah. I often explain it to people that there's no muscles of facial expression involved in a swallow. So you shouldn't,
1: from a face,
0: you shouldn't be seeing that someone is swallowing.
1: (laughs) it should be very still.
0: Yeah. And as you said, sometimes we do see those, the neck, the neck coming into a swallow because the tongue is so dysfunctional that the neck is having to move the food and the, the tongue can't quite do it.
1: That's right. And I think that what we need to be doing as speech pathologists to be treating kids comprehensively is to be looking at, that oral phase of the swallow, okay, because often we can see that there might be difficulties with chewing, eating, swallowing when there's that issue with speech production. Hmm.
0: But I guess uh, Devil's Advocate here asked the question on the other side, is a tongue tie the only thing that can be affecting the tongue's ability to swallow?
1: No, definitely not. So it might be that there's other things at play. There might be an airway issue. There might be allergies. There might be a history of there's ENT concerns going on. So there's there's certainly lots of reasons why there might be a mouth-breathing habit that leads to persistent mouth-breathing that can then impact jaw weakness, muscle dysfunction over time. So absolutely, good question. Yeah, not always a tie.
0: Yeah, it was probably a little bit different for you coming from a speech pathology perspective. You're already working quite a lot in this therapy kind of space. But when you first start in the OM work, for me as a dental professional, looking at how people swallow, understanding the much bigger picture of what can impact a tongue's function and its mobility, that it's not always a tie. You know, it's yeah. just because a tongue can't move, it doesn't mean it's actually physically restricted by that attachment tissue. So That's yeah, right. sometimes it, it can go a little bit too far the other way. <laughs> I guess when you first start out thinking that there's tongue ties where there's not.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that a big learning space for me has been gaining an understanding of body work and how important that is with the clients that we're working with. And yeah, it's been amazing for me to see that working closely with the chiropractor, that we can get some amazing outcomes in improving that oral function.
0: Yeah. So yeah, chiropractors, osteopaths, physios, that's um, exactly. by, yep. by body Just work. Just depending yeah. on yeah, it just who's around. On who's around?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thinking small town. Yep.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, small towns are, are kind of another level of, of challenge. <laughs> level of <laughs> yeah. Time, that's right. So time size can be a that can be a bit of a controversial topic, unfortunately. How do you sit with that? Why is are your thoughts around and experiences as to why they're so controversial, why we don't have more education and understanding?
1: Yeah, and I think that definitely it's an area that's changed rapidly in the space of the last five to seven years even. There's been big advancements and I think that sometimes that controversy can arise when perhaps health professionals haven't kept up with the advances that have have gone on in this area. It's just, I guess, a real shame when a health professional is very quick to jump in and say, no, that's not a tongue tie, instead of I don't know or how about I refer you to someone who is in that space and does know how to do a functional assessment of, of a tongue tie. And I think that surgery outcomes have improved so much in recent times that our release providers are using different techniques, we know how to get good results, we know that we need to do body work, we know that we need to do orofacial myology. So I think the controversy is definitely something that can't continue because the results are speaking for themselves. When a tongue tie is addressed appropriately with appropriate body work and myofunctional therapy, then the results are just speaking for themselves.
0: Yeah. Proof is in the pudding. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) This isn't something we plan to talk about. We've got a little bit of time. I wondered if you could explain a bit the role of sleep in speech because we've kind of circled around it a little bit when we're talking about OM, we are talking about sleep because of these malocclusion relationships with our breathing and then therefore our sleep. But um, how does sleep come into your practice? Like where does that factor in?
1: Well, I think that definitely... A lot of kids that we see in our practice are not sleeping well. I see my role as something I probably didn't do before I was trained in OM is screen airways. So I think that now the first thing I do is have a look and see and then, you know, making appropriate referrals. We are the therapist that is in client's mouth. So it, it makes sense that we are screening airways. And I think that the really exciting thing with orofacial myology is that we are looking at achieving that, that tongue rest posture and changing that. So as a result, we're getting involved in establishing nasal breathing. So then. Kids are sleeping better at night, okay, because they're not mouth breathing all night and we know that they need those lips closed and nasal breathing to achieve that really good gas exchange and to achieve a better sleep. But the exciting thing is that as a result, these kids are starting to do better at school. So kids that we traditionally see for literacy difficulties and for language difficulties, they might have difficulties with attention and focus. These kids are starting to do better because of the intervention that we're providing in terms of orofacial myrology.
0: Does that also have an, a flow-on effect for your patients that have ADHD diagnosis or symptoms?
1: Yeah, totally I think we absolutely have to screen these kids and make sure that they're getting a really good sleep and I the other interesting thing to talk about like we talk about speech and people traditionally think about articulation, speech sound difficulties but there's other aspects to speech such as, fluency and voice, okay, as well. So if we talk, think about fluency, it's very much related to breathing and at university we're often told, okay, it, it all starts with breath, you need to go back to breathing and and work on breathing. So I guess we didn't really have the tools or we weren't taught what that actually looks like. So the exciting thing about orofacial myology is you do have a tool in your toolkit tool and you know what good breathing Should look like so. These clients that have these fluency issues can really benefit from these orofacial myology interventions. And the other thing that I read, I think, just last week about fluency is that it's really exciting. They're looking into difficulties that kids that are not going into that REM sleep, whether that's having an impact on their fluency or their speech or, or how much stuttering they're doing. So I think definitely this is an area that. We don't know much about, and it's definitely going to be improving in the future as we learn more about the association between sleep and learning and speech.
0: Hmm. There's that association between our short-term memory and our sleep cycles in terms of our kids' exactly. learning, isn't there? Yeah, if they're not yep. getting the yep. quality of their sleep, then their short-term memory is affected. Yeah, that's right, and you know that well, adults we know as well, that... but we are yeah exactly kids,
1: yeah. adults as well, but we know that kids. Yeah. And we see a lot of kids with difficulties with executive functioning. So it's really interesting if we look closely at these kids that have difficulties with executive functioning and those higher level language issues, do they have something going on with their breathing? Do they need a referral to the ENT? Yeah, it's, we definitely need to be looking more closely at these kids with those higher level language and executive functioning issues. Yeah, so I wonder if you
0: could maybe take us through just a. It's. I know it's very individual. It's hard to give a blanket example of things. But if someone does come into you, a child comes into you, and they have they're having speech articulation difficulties, and you take this OM approach, what might it look like? You know, different to a a conventional speech pathology approach. Like, what are you doing differently, or where are they going? You know, other practitioner wise, is that that's a bit different. Or people might be wondering, like, if this is also you know a different approach, what is that difference?
1: Yeah, I guess so when a child comes in, we're very much looking at doing a targeted assessment and we're looking and ticking off and looking very closely at the lips, how they're moving, at the tongue and how it's moving. We're looking for tongue restrictions, definitely. We're looking at the jaw. Okay, so then that allows us to provide that targeted intervention and remediating those orofacial myology issues so that the child can then have success in feeding and speech later on down the track. So then obviously we're looking at occlusion, we're looking at their bite and I think it's really important as a speech pathologist that we are considering what's reasonable for a child to achieve. So if the child has a really high arch palate. Is it, and a tongue restriction. Is it reasonable that we're working on those sounds that require the tongue to elevate to the palate? Probably not. And we need to think about the timing of our intervention. So maybe it, it's appropriate that we could involve some early interceptor orthodontics and have some success in that way, hold off our speech treatment until later on so sometimes it can be a matter of i guess working with other professionals and and making sure that the timing of our treatment is right as well but yeah we in our clinic we are using the Australian Orofacial Myology collaboration treatment protocols obviously because I'm a part of that group and so if we're seeing that these kids have are having difficulties with oral function, then we are using these protocols to, to remediate the issues that they're having. Hmm.
0: Very good. There are a couple of questions to finish up our chat today. <laughs> you yes. had time to prepare the very big answers. <laughs> uh, if you could change one thing about our healthcare system,
1: what would it be? Definitely newborn screening for tongue ties in all hospitals would be life-changing for so many members. Oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> how good would it be if we could do that in Australia? Can you do
0: hearing and eyes and mouths, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, as if people are hearing that, might not realise that that's actually not doesn't standard.
1: happen. No, it's not,
0: it's not currently. Unfortunately, um, they yeah. check pellets to make sure we don't have cliffs, but that's at the moment. It would be amazing one day, Mel. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we're all being loud enough about it, aren't we? We'll we'll get there one day. <laughs> no. And what do you wish was taught in schools about health?
1: Well, I think OM-wise, definitely teaching our kids how to chew properly. So I think that in our clinic we're just seeing so many kids that are not chewing effectively and it's probably a result of the diet that they're having and eating too much soft food. But, yeah, I think that's something that could be amazing if that was part of, of the curriculum, that we're looking and seeing that kids know what they need to do. They need to nasal breathe, they need to have their lips closed and they need to be chewing on both sides. Yeah, it would be amazing.
0: And is there a book or a podcast, something like that, that you would recommend that everyone listens to or reads or watches?
1: Yeah, so I think that the book Jaws is really good, Sandra Cannon, Paul Ehrlich. But another book, I guess I'm working with mothers a lot and who are breastfeeding or bottle feeding their kids and... When I was in the trenches feeding my own kids, I read a book called Buddhism for Mothers by Sarah Napthali, And it's an amazing book. It is just all it's talking about is encouraging mindful techniques, mindfulness techniques. So that, yeah, because it is, it's a really hard slog. It's a marathon when you're feeding your babies. So mm. that was a book that really helped me when I was going through that with my kids. Yeah, well, that
0: sounds good. I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to have a <laughs> look myself. So how can our listeners get in touch or work with you in your practice?
1: So, my practice is Louisa Backer Speech Pathology in Emerald. And as I've said, I'm also presenting with the Australian Operation Neurology Collaboration. We're running 28-hour foundation courses in OEM. So, if you're interested in learning more about OM, you can definitely get in touch. But we're on Facebook and our website is aoncollab.com. Good.
0: Thanks so much for a chat today, Louisa. Really excited to hear the speech pathology perspective. Great. Thanks for having Great me. Great that you're in our industry. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Head to the show notes if you would like to get in touch with this week's guest. And if you'd like to learn more about oral and facial function or work with me at The Face Place, you'll find me on Instagram at faceplace underscore OFM or at thefaceplaceofm.com.au. The Face Place podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Juru people. I would like to pay my respects to the elders past and present.